If you would, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 38 and 39. And as you're finding your spot and as the children are dismissed, uh, I'd just like to publicly thank the elders um, for... Jonathan, I think you left some kind of spirit up here. It's making me emotional for some reason. And I'm a Presbyterian. This isn't supposed to happen. Uh, but, but thank you uh, to the elders publicly for how they've supported my family and me um, and the love of Christ that we're singing about and worshiping this morning uh, has really been shown to my family. So, so thank you uh, so much for that. Let's turn to the reading of God's Word from Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 38 and 39. Here's the Word of the Lord. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you now to speak to us as only you can. Make this as personal as possible. And the Holy Spirit, please apply it now, but in the days ahead. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. How many of you are familiar with the old saying that the only constant in life is change? How many of you would agree with that statement? Um, and maybe not just in a general sense, but in a very personal sense. Maybe you've seen it apparent in your own life. And all you have to do is ask yourself a series of questions. Uh, maybe you think back to 10 years ago. Where were you at? Uh, where were you living? Where were you working? Were you married? Were you, did you have any children? Uh, or perhaps just go back five years ago, 2011. Where were you at? Where were you working? Were you married? Do you have any children? Or maybe just one year ago, April 2015. Where were you at? What was going on in your life? You see, as we look back, we can see how things constantly change. You know, and this principle holds true for all areas of life. You know, think back to pictures of your childhood. The person in those pictures looks nothing like you today, and Lord knows I know that to be true. Or think about your parents. Think about uh, the clothes they were wearing. Probably looks a lot different than the clothes we wear today, right? Or maybe the trends have come back in style. Or perhaps the most telling of all were the hairdos, the hairstyles. Um, right here in Kennesaw, back in the 80s, women used to wear bangs, but it's not the way that they wear bangs today. Uh, they actually take the bangs, they would grow them out right here in Kennesaw, and they would pull them up and they would spray gobs of hairspray on it. And it kind of looked like this. You know, it was just standing way high perched above their head. And there was actually a term called, it was called the Kennesaw Claw. Um, maybe some of you remember those days. Uh, but, but the hairstyles change, don't they? Uh, we don't see that today. And so things never stay the same, do they? They're always changing. Well, why do things always change? Well, the answer is that humans are always searching for something. We are fickle and capricious characters, aren't we? We're unable to stay the same because we're always changing and we're always uncertain. We have doubts, don't we? And consequently, this world is a very volatile world. But since there's so much change, we need something that's unchanging, right? Something that will not change at all. And yes, we need food and clothing and shelter and water, but we also need love. We need to give and receive love, albeit from our parents or our spouse or our children or our friends. 
However, we need one kind of love, a particular love that never changes. It's a perfect love. Where can we get it? Well, I think Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 is going to give us a good clue. It's actually God's unchanging and perfect love. And I think there's three things we can see from this text this morning. Just these two verses give us three aspects. We can see that God's perfect love is, number one, persuasive, number two, persistent, and number three, personal. Persuasive, persistent, and personal. Let's take a look at God's love as persuasive. Take a look at verse 38 with me. What does Paul write there? He says, for I am sure. Just stop there. Don't go any further. What is Paul saying? We know the Apostle Paul lived a life where he saw the world, so to speak. He was a missionary. And as he's making these journeys to spread the good news of the gospel, that we're saved by grace through faith. As he's doing this, he's actually beaten, left for half dead many times. But he's writing this letter to the Romans, the Christians in Rome. And as he's writing this to them in the original language, he's conveying the message that he's persuaded, absolutely convinced, without a shadow of a doubt, that God loves him. For I am sure, I am persuaded. And what does the word persuaded mean to you? When you first think of the word persuaded or persuasion, maybe you think of a salesman of some sorts and he's trying to sell you on a product and you can't have it, you can't live without it. You've got to have this product, so to speak. Well, I think it's a little more intimate what Paul is trying to convey here to us. He's talking about a intimate relationship. And now, just for a second, husbands, think about the last time that your wife was trying to persuade you of something. You know, perhaps the new house or the new car or the washer and dryer or maybe that honeydew list that you just can't seem to get to because you're so busy watching football. But she came to you and she tries to persuade you. And she probably didn't do it in an ugly, harsh fashion. She probably was loving, inviting, encouraging. Nevertheless, I think... Paul's saying here that he is fully persuaded of God's love. And as we read persuaded or convinced, maybe in your translation, NIV, ESV, whatever it may be, but it says, I am persuaded. In that original language, it's actually a perfect verb. What's a perfect verb? Well, it's something that's been done in the past, and it has ongoing consequences. Basically, it's saying, I have been persuaded in the past, and yet every day I am continually persuaded. For us, it just looks like a past verb, but it's actually something with ongoing consequences. So God's love in Christ is persuasive, and it gives you the confidence and certainty that fuels your life. You remember a few minutes ago, I said we all need to give and to receive love. Think about this as you were a kid or for your own children today. They need to hear that you love them. They need to see that you're demonstrating your love to them on a daily basis. Why? What does it do for them? Well, it gives wind to their cells. It gives them a degree of certainty as well as a foundation. And having someone tell you that they love you and fully persuading you with action, it's irreplaceable. It encourages you to take steps of faith that you typically would never take. It also serves as a launching pad for life's adventures. If you've lived for only a certain number of years, you'll begin to realize that there's all kinds of things that happen in this life and we need this firm foundation. You see, this kind of persuasive love ultimately nullifies those things that try to shake you or separate you from God's love. So what is God's love? God's love is persuasive. You might be asking yourself, well, how is it persuasive? 
Let's look at the second point. God's love is persistent. Take a look at the text again with me. Look at verses 38 and 39. It says this. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Wow. Wow. What a remarkable claim from Scripture. It's as if Paul just skipped across a cascading mountain range using every single word in the human language to talk about God's persistent love. And yet you can still sense that there's kind of a frustration in Paul's language because our human language just can't go far enough to express God's persistent love. Well, how do we know that it's persistent? Well, he says that nothing can separate us. Nothing can separate us. Paul unfolds 10 items that could possibly separate us from God's love. What are they? Take a look at this. And notice these very carefully in sequential order. They're, they're mixed in with internal and external forces that have the ability to attach us. First, Paul says that death cannot separate us from God's love. I mean, that's pretty all-inclusive, isn't it? Takes it to the far end of the extreme. Death. Death cannot separate us. I mean, practically and statistically speaking, death is our number one fear, either for our own life or for loved ones. Is it not? And he starts out by saying death cannot separate you. And many of us in this room have experienced sorrow associated with death. We have loved ones that are no longer with us. We miss them. The loss of someone can have a sobering effect, can it? And it can foster doubts regarding life in general, but God in particular. And two months ago, my wife's mother passed away. She was only 69 years old. And my wife and her mother were very close. But on that cold February day in room B341, as the earth seemed to slowly stop on its axis, she departed to be with Christ. And my wife and I held each other. And in those subsequent moments, grief and pain and sorrow poured over us. There was a sort of invisible blanket between the world and us in those moments. But God's persistent love was there in that grueling moment. This is what Paul means when he says, death cannot separate you from the love of God. Death is not impervious to God's persistent love. And you see, this is where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? See, practical theology can be very practical, can it? God is a loving father in heaven and not a grandfather. What's the difference? What do I mean? Well, God's not a senile benevolence who says things at the end of the day like, well, just as long as they're happy, as long as those young people are okay and they're happy and content, that's all I care about. You see, God gives us great gifts, doesn't he? And yet he lets us fumble through life's challenges like death. Why does he do this? Because he wants us to know that even in the extremes that we feel, we can still know without a shadow of a doubt that he's there. His love is there for us. And we can have a high level of confidence that knowing the ultimate leveler, death, the one that levels everything, that even in that circumstance, God loves us. 
What is more, Paul goes on to stretch the limits of the human language. And he says that whether angels or rulers or things in the present or things to come or powers or height or depth, nor anything, nothing, nothing at all can separate us. You see, Paul almost kind of seals the deal with this, doesn't he? He expresses all of these aspects and it's like he's throwing in the kitchen sink saying, look, nothing, nothing that you can possibly think of. But there's one last thing. What is it? Take a look at this. He's, Paul says, nor anything else in all creation. The creator has created this creation here. That's a tongue-tying sense, isn't it? But everything that he has created cannot disconnect you from his persistent love. And someone here might say, well, are you saying, can I lose my salvation? And I would ask you, well, are you part of the creation? You see, God is the hound of heaven and he's tracked you down and he'll never let you go. He's got a strong hold on you. And so are you saying, can I lose my salvation? You can't lose your salvation. Nothing in all of creation can separate you. And then you might say, well, won't this lead to loose living? No, it won't. Because if you know you've been saved by grace through faith, not in your works, but in Christ's works on the cross, it will actually fuel you to live a life of obedience. It will propel you to love and follow the Father's commandments. You see, the imperatives in Scripture, those things that say do this or do that, no longer make you recoil. But actually, there'll be a loving gift from your heavenly Father, and it's his grace that enables us to go and live like Christ. They are showing us how to live on a day-to-day basis. So what is God's perfect love? His perfect love is persuasive and persistent. But how do we know that they're actually persuasive and persistent? There's one more thing. It's the last point. It's the prerequisite, and it's the linchpin for the first two. Third point is God's love is personal. Let's return to the text for one more cold, refreshing drink of water. Allow your eyes to sink down the last five words of verse 39. Take a look at it. It says this, in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does he mean? What does that mean? I'm going to tell you what it means in just a second, but let me say this. This phrase, in Christ Jesus our Lord, has transformed so many lives, men, women, and children, This morning, I pray that the Holy Spirit will do the same for you as you look over this text. It's an absolute game changer. It's a paradigm shift for all of our life. If you want to have certainty and confidence of God's love, then we need to apply the term in Christ. And it's not just a hashtag on your Twitter account or Facebook or the closing signature on your email. It has far more ramifications Let me put it this way, we are a church here, and in a very general way, we love one another, we care for one another, but in a very particular way, we have a personal love for our spouses, do we not? It's different. So this morning, have you professed faith in Jesus Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? If so, God the Father has set his particular affections upon you. It's very personal, it's very intimate. And you might say, how so? Well, the phrase in Christ has been called union. 
with Christ. And it's the rebar for all other Christian doctrines of our life that attach to it. Now, how can I make such a sweeping claim about this in Christ, this union with Christ being the foundation for everything else? Well, let's turn to the Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Isn't that amazing? What about this life? That's before life began. What what about in this life? The Bible says again in Ephesians, and we just read it this morning, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. As we live and move and have our being, and as you go to work tomorrow, you are in Christ. He's there with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. What if we leap to the other end of the extreme and we talk about death? Are we united with him in death? Well, do you remember 1 Thessalonians 4.16? It says this, And the dead in Christ will rise first. Simply put, in Christ means that in death and in life, I am fully persuaded of God's persistent love. It's personal, very personal. And perhaps you're saying to yourself, I hear what you're saying, but you don't know what I'm facing right now. You haven't been through what I've been through. How can I make God's love personal for me today? And you're right, God's love is not some ethereal force. It's just floating out there in some kind of abstract way. It's very personal. So how can you make it real for you today? How can you take hold of this? Here's my practical advice, and it will not seem revolutionary right now, but please hear this. It's a process, and it's not a one-time prayer. It's something that has to go on and on and on in your life. So first, I want you to taste it. Taste and see. Number one is to taste. You ever had a friend who talked about a restaurant, some restaurant they really love? And the last time you saw them, like, hey, you got to go check this restaurant out. It's delicious. It's great. And you go, okay, sure. Sure, I'll, I'll check it out. And then you see them again in about a week. And they're like, hey, did you check that restaurant out? No, I haven't had a chance to do that yet. Well, you need to check it out. It's great. It's delicious. you got to go check it out. You see them another time, and you're like, oh, Lord, here we go. Hey, have you gone to that restaurant? No, I haven't, but let's go ahead and go right now together. Let's go try it out. Well, this is what the Bible, this is what the Scripture, and this is what your Christian brothers and sisters are trying to do to you every single day, persuading you of God's love, to taste his love. Well, how can we taste it? Well, let me say this. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he was persuaded of the Father's love, was he not? And the night in the garden, right before he was betrayed, three times he asked for the cup to pass from him. But he knew there was no other way. And he was certain that God loved him, but he had to go to the cross and die, didn't he? He was faced with a very difficult challenge. And so on the one hand, he's persuaded of God's love, and yet He's also faced with a very difficult challenge. Additionally, as Jesus was flogged, beaten, and hung on the cross, and as his lungs were filling with blood, and he was gasping for air, 
He cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, in the midst of Jesus' darkest hour, the one moment where he needed the Father's love the most, hanging on the cross, struggling. Why? Why? One simple word, for. F-O-R. Jesus died for us. Jesus suffered God's wrath so that we could have the Father's love and never, ever lose it. Jesus said, no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. It's pretty strong, isn't it? No one. No one, no thing. And because Jesus died for us, we can be secure in the Father's hand today. So number one, you need to taste it. That's how you make it personal. Taste this great love demonstrated in Christ. And it needs to both warm and melt your heart and your head. But you also need to see it. And some of you say, well, hey, faith is not seeing. Well, let me offer you something this morning. Get with your spouse or a close friend or a relative and sit down and look in life's rearview mirror and begin to write down all the times when you saw God's love persuade you. You can see it throughout your life in the rearview mirror. And then secondly, write down all the times when you saw his love when it was persistent, carrying you through all the ups and downs, the highs and lows of life. It's then and only then when you see this love in the rearview mirror that it becomes really personal. And maybe in difficult trials, you can become like the psalmist when he said, for this I know that God is for me. Every morning when I drop my two oldest children off at school, I say, what's your Bible verse? And they both say to me, for this I know that God is for me. Psalm 56, nine. We need to know in our heart and in our head that God is for us and this all happens in Christ. He did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. The only constant in life is change. We are fickle creatures living in a volatile world and throughout life's ups and downs we need a solid rock on which to stand. Things are always changing. But what's the one thing that does not change? It's God's perfect love. There's a song that encapsulates God's perfect love, and it says this. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast, beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. As you leave here today, remember that God's perfect love is persuasive, persistent, and it's very personal. Take it in. Dwell upon it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, from generation to generation. 
We need multiple exposures to the gospel, don't we? We need multiple exposures to this gospel. Think on these things and pray with me. Most gracious heavenly Father, you are a good Father. You love us with a love that is persuasive. You love us through the ups and downs of life. We know that it's persistent. It will always be there to carry us through, even in the most difficult challenges that we are faced with. And Father, thank you that your love is personal in Christ, that you did not spare your own son, but you gave him up for us all. So today, Holy Spirit, we ask you to apply this to our heart and to our head and warm us in Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.